work, but you gotta put in work, 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 work. You don't gotta go to work, 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 work. Let my body do the work, 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 work. We can work tomorrow, oh, oh. We can work tomorrow, Happy Tuesday and welcome to Not Boring Founders, the podcast where I talk founders in the Not Boring portfolio about the companies they're building, the strategies they're employing to build it, and just to catch up and shoot the shit. Today, we have a very special guest, someone who absolutely blew me away the first time that we spoke and I've been really impressed with ever since. I'm excited to get there, but first, a word from our sponsor, Cometeer. Cometeer is the official coffee of Not Boring. I'm addicted to the stuff. I drink three cups a day. It's super easy. The coffee arrives frozen. I run it under some water. Pour the puck out into a cup, pour hot water over it, and I have in 30 seconds, maybe less, a coffee that is better than anything that I can get by going to the store and paying $6, all from the comfort of my home. The process is wild. So they have a facility up in Gloucester where they take coffee from the best roasters around the country. They brew it and then they freeze dry it immediately to lock in all of that freshness and not let any of that great coffee taste escape. And they send it to you frozen. You just, like I do, pour some water over. You can make a bunch of different ways. I just go black, but you can do iced coffee. You can do espressos. You can do anything that you can do with normal coffee with Cometeer and it tastes better. So to get 50% off your first order, you can go to cometeer.com slash not boring. That's cometeer.com slash not boring. Now let's get to it. Happy Tuesday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. My name is Packy McCormick. I'm your host, and I'm here today with Lauren Rothwell, the CEO and founder of Retrera. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? How's your Monday? Monday is is good so far. It's already Monday afternoon out here, almost almost on the day. Things are things are going well. Where am I catching you right now? Where are you calling? Um, I'm calling in from San Francisco, which has actually been awesome recently. I've being surprised by uh, how nice the weather is up here. I moved here a few months ago and everyone kept telling me it would be terrible. And October has been beautiful so far. Isn't October like the good month in San Francisco? I think so. So I might, I might be changing my mind if we were talking a few weeks later, but so far so good. I think I moved at the right time. Amazing. So if you're, if you're not from San Francisco, walk me through kind of your life story and how you ended up in San Francisco. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm actually from Ireland, but my accent is slowly disappearing, which is which is not good. <laughs> every time every time I go home, I, I get in a lot of trouble for it. So I tend to tend to you know eventually get it back when I spend some time there. But something yeah, I mean, that I would... the that the Collisons do to maintain it over time because they've been here for a while and it's. So yeah, we talk about it a lot with with other other friends out here um, who are from Ireland. So. We like to say that some people have a musical ear, and if you have a musical ear, it means that you adapt and you change. And so I, I like to say that that is what I have, uh, even though I'm not musical at all. But yeah, it just it just disappears. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess the Carlsons do not have a musical ear. That's probably it's their one weakness. The big difference there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah from Ireland. Went to college there studied math and econ at Trinity College Dublin. And then I went over to London to work in finance and worked on the trading floor in Goldman Sachs there, which was an, an awesome experience for a few years. And then I just got, I got really excited um, working on the trading floor, like looking at how 
how much was changing around us. So there's a lot of fintech disrupting how we were operating. You know, I guess as an example, we used to have salespeople essentially facilitating every single trade. And while I was there, more and more trades were coming through directly electronically. And so that was, you know, making a lot of changes in the industry. And so thought that was super exciting, realized I wanted to get um, more involved in technology and I decided to, to come out to Stanford to do an MBA to really immerse myself more so in, in Silicon Valley and, and tech. Um, so came came out there before that, did 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 a few months at a B2B voice tech startup that was super exciting. It was an early stage startup, got my first taste for entrepreneurship and, and kind of what it means to start something there. My two years at Stanford, which was an incredible, incredible experience, really learned so much from the people around me and very different perspectives out here than there are kind of in, in the UK and Ireland. And so that was really exciting. And then, yeah, I guess that that kind of brings me brings me to where I am today. I'm working on on retire. So I graduated in June and got started on on my company. I guess around March, April um, was when we started really validating what what we were working on. And yeah, super super quick synopsis of my background. So math and econ and Trinity to Goldman, to Stanford. Did you know, I mean, this is a pretty phenomenal resume. Did you know going into Stanford that you were going to get into technology broadly or that you wanted to go start? I wasn't sure. I think I think I knew I wanted to be close to building something. So, you know, one of the things I used to love and I, yeah, you know, d- developed a lot, of, a lot of spreadsheets that are still used uh, today on, on the trading floor. And whenever I've gone back to visit, I I make jokes because they're all color coded and pastel colors. And I was the only girl there. So I, I love that they're still using my pretty spreadsheets. But I, I just used to love like building things that works, things that were really useful. You know, part of the reason that I was excited to, to kind of move more into like an operating and tech role that was, you know, building things that that were really helpful to, to folks and and drove value for them. And so I knew I wanted to get into tech or, or product. And I did a product internship at a really cool startup last summer, and I really enjoyed it. And then through that experience, actually, it was a remote first internship, given the, where the pandemic was last summer and, and you know, experienced this problem. I knew everyone on my team was super cool, but I just did not know them personally, because of this problem of, of being fully remote. And I learned a lot, but I just didn't feel the, the connection that I used to feel when I was sitting on the training floor beside all these folks, you know, 12 hours a day. And so, yeah, I, I think that that experience working entirely remotely really gave me some key insights, which led me to, to build, build or start focusing rather on, on building Retrera. Yeah. So I guess walk me through in, in there are two parts to this question because I'm not a good podcast. So, so first how you went back to school and decided to start working on something and like kind of what that process looked like and when you realized you were going to start Retrera and then what Retrera is and, and what you're building. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think I probably knew the whole second year that I, I was excited to, to do something, do something new. I think there was just so many interesting opportunities that arose as a result of the big shifts in how uh, the the biggest shifts due to the pandemic. Uh, the one that I obviously think is most interesting is that it's completely changed how people work. You know, we spend such a majority of our lives working. And so that changing is really, really fundamental. And so I was excited about that. Also was kind of excited about 
like remote collaboration and productivity and, and things like that. And so it was exploring a few different ideas in, in the in that kind of space. And then one of the one of the things that I yeah thought was most interesting was was this issue of like how do you engage your team when you are working remotely and how do you initially build a connection with folks that you've never met and so you can you know do virtual team building you can have you know slack games you can connect over zoom but it's very hard for people who are new to the team who yeah just haven't met anyone to really build that initial connection and so I started just talking to a lot of people to you know, one, understand if they were going to continue with remote work or continue with a level of distribution within their teams. Uh, And if so, were they planning to get people together in person or did they not care so much about that? So started to interview a lot of different founders, leaders in HR and, and people functions, and also folks who had worked at remote companies before the pandemic. So yeah, we, we like to classify kind of potential customers as, yeah, people who were remote before the pandemic and they know everything. And then there are people who are kind of remote after the pandemic. And at, at some point they were a pandemic panicker as they were trying to essentially switch everything onto onto Zoom and Slack and, and whatnot. And so, yeah, talk to a lot of people, try to understand like what, what are people doing and what are they planning to do as a result of the pandemic. And really what we learned is that everyone was planning to to continue to hire remotely. And the mindset had completely shifted from being, you know, about hiring the best person for the job in San Francisco to hiring the best person for, for the job wherever in the world they are. And there was, you know, that aspect. And then the other aspect was that so many people really liked remote work that you had to kind of let the people decide to some extent. And you've seen that with a lot of the bigger tech companies, you know, Google wanted to bring most people back and there was essentially a revolt. Um, So yeah, I I think that that was really validating understanding that, you know, the biggest challenge these people were facing was how to understand how engaged and how people's morale was over Zoom. And then knowing that going forward, they're going to continue working in this way and would need to think about in-person events and doing kind of more structured uh, employee engagement um, type activities that was you know just enough to validate really what I what I thought which was yeah that there needs to be a better solution for for engaging um, employees in in a remote first setting that, that that makes a ton of sense and and it's so fascinating to see from when we first started talking about this to now that that's really played out and as you said the big companies are not able to bring everybody back to the office. People are spread out. A bunch of companies spent the whole pandemic hiring wherever, and you can't then just say, by the way, you all have to move to San Francisco. So it feels like it's here to stay, but you're a very clearly numbers-driven person, math major, econ, finance. Was there like a number that you were looking for, like something that you were looking for to say like, all right, I'm definitely going all in on this. Like this number tells me that it's here to stay, or was there really just either a gut or overwhelming evidence or something that came out of all those conversations that you're just like, all right, this is obviously here, whether it's 25% or 50% doesn't really matter. It's a huge opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think of all the people I spoke to, I think it was like over 80% of them told me that they were hiring the best person for the job, no matter where they were. And yeah, I think I like, I classify that as like distributed work, not necessarily remote first, because they may have an office, but even then, they still need to get people together, you know, at some frequency in some location, given they are distributed and they, 
kind of all just, you'll go for a beer after work or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, I think, I think just the, the level of data that and kind of feedback we got was such that we, we knew this is important and that it would be a, a white space to, to build something. And it was, you know, that towards the end of the pandemic. So people were um, starting to, you know, starting to, to go back towards a more normal version of life, but still a lot of people were, were, you know, working, working entirely remotely. So thought it was, I, I still haven't even told you what, really what, what we're doing with Retrara, but yeah, I think that I definitely had the validation I needed to, to, ex- yeah, to prove to myself that there were enough people who would be continuing with remote work and struggling with this issue of how to engage employees in a remote first setting. So how do they do that? What is yeah, so Retrera is is a platform that helps distributed teams engage their remote employees. And so what what that looks like and what we're really focused on starting with is building building essentially a way that enables anyone, maybe maybe a leader of a team or a chief of staff at a company to really seamlessly book coordinate and evaluate an offsite event. And so that's everything from, you know, inviting people, collecting feedback on the preferred dates to booking, booking an, uh, you know, a venue and, and getting a large group contract and then assessing, assessing the impact, the, I guess, ha- yeah, getting feedback after, after the fact. And so, yeah, we, we think that this is, you know, what, what is the biggest, biggest problem, the hardest thing to do right now. And then, you know, the longer term vision within, once we nailed down to in-person events, or we got a good start on it, then it's, we want to layer on virtual events and also virtual asynchronous community building tools. So if you think about all the different hacks that people have in Slack and Zoom, so different plugins, maybe it's a Giphy challenge, or maybe it's, you know, a photo of the day Slack channel and different things like that, that people are are doing themselves but sometimes struggling for inspiration for so we want to essentially aggregate a lot of those different potential tools so that the you know the the person who is leading this team can kind of decide what what they want uh, their team to be using and engaging with and then they'll also be able to track engagement on all these different tools tools and also attendance of any any in-person events and I just think it's it's even became even more relevant you know, had already decided that this was definitely a problem area, but then seeing, you know, through the summer, how, how many people were resigning. I think there's some stat out there, the most 50% of people are looking for a new job, which is totally insane. And so, you know, obviously massive loss in productivity as a result of disengaged workers. I think there's something like 20% less productive. And then when you lose someone, it costs 50% to two times their salary to replace them in recruiting and HR costs. And so being intentional here, you know, about about building a cohesive culture in this setting where it's very hard to understand how people are feeling because you just don't have the same, you know, nonverbal cues that you would in an office. I think it's just so important and people will be looking for, you know, a, a solution and, and a one-stop shop. So how do you think about it as a founder where you have this massive market and you can give us the stats on kind of how big the retreat market is that you could just go all in on focusing on that and then building kind of the software for the in-between moments for those, you know, three months or six months between corporate retreats where the team is working virtually from wherever they are. How do you think about prioritizing those two different sides of the product? So I guess start with how big is the corporate retreat market? 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we kind of ran the numbers, basically breaking it out, looking at desk jobs. So we would expect that those folks who work in, in professional sectors are are the people who would naturally potentially migrate to a more remote way of, of working. And assuming that all, all those different companies within the U.S. went on, you know, two offsite events a year, or the average cost of an offsite is kind of it's probably north of of $2,000, so around $2,500, we conservatively said, let's call it $1,500. Um, so if you multiply out, you know, every employee of, of those companies going on two events a year costing $1,500, the market size is about $27 billion. Um, of course, we know that not everyone, uh, not every desk job, not every team is, is going to do these kinds of events. But, you know, with, with a 3% penetration, that's, that's a billion dollars in potential revenue. So it is a pretty huge market. We also kind of looked at it just say like, hey, let's just look at technology companies because we know that a lot of a lot of those companies care a lot about their culture. And they also are facing some of the most competitive, competitive job markets in that uh, a lot of folks who work in tech have highly coveted skills and are are able to move around a lot more. Looking just at that market, the, the market size is about $12 billion dollars. And so, yeah, it's pretty, pretty massive. I think as we, as we think about the roadmap question, we think that, you know, in-person events is the hardest thing to do. And so that's why we're super focused on that. And I think the, one of the biggest challenges that, that kind of makes this hard is that there is an offline element, right? And we are working in a, a legacy sector to some, to some extent, you know, a lot of hotels use fairly old software systems we figured out how we can how we can build direct integrations into those into those booking systems but it is it is a little bit a little bit of an older school industry in in some in some ways there's some really cool new you know apis out there that will make it easier that it would have been several years ago to build build this platform but yeah i think that that it is it is something we want to focus on first and then probably in you know nine months um, time, then we'll start layering on the additional virtual, virtual and remote first events and tools. So you talked about one side of the of the kind of conversations that you had, which was talking to companies that might be continuing to work remote and, and throwing retreats and all of that. One of the other things that impressed me was that you spent a lot of time talking to the other side as well, the people who are kind of professionals in this industry already. I have some experience with it from working at Breather before and we had a lot of people who wanted to do one or two day offsite. So not exactly the same thing, but probably the same person. And you're right, they were stuck with these like miserable tools. They were used to paying $2 a page for printing and $100 a person for crappy sandwiches for lunch and all of that stuff. What did you learn when you talked to that side of the equation? The people who are actually kind of running running these these types of events? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's it's an interesting market in in um in that it's very fragmented. So I guess when you look at you know potentially what you could call like alternatives to us right now, it's it's maybe a meeting planner or yeah, I think a meeting planner is probably the best best example of a you know a, a more service oriented but you know completes the same would com- complete the same task and that they would help help with planning a corporate retreat. And so yeah, they they all operate in silos, which is pretty interesting. So we have kind of d- done some user interviews there and like lean on lean on their insights to get started. And 
the way that the, those companies are structured is that everyone has like an individual and they get paid as such. So they earn commission or essentially like revenue share on, on some of the deals that they bring in. The fact that it's structured in this way means that there's like no sharing of insights. There's like not much sharing of kind of tools and, and people are probably a, a little bit, you know, competitive with their own clients and their own, their own, you know, preferred venues and, and things like that. So most of the companies are structured in that way. And, and that's one thing that we find super, super interesting because it naturally, you know, re- probably, probably reduces their ability to, to operate effectively and that they're, they're so super siloed. And then, yeah, of course, it's just super, super manual. Like there, it, it's back and forth with these hotels getting, getting quotes, coming up with all the different details of, of the event space and meal selection and all of this stuff. Um, and so you kind of in, in PDF documents at the moment, which is contracts are all being sent out over over email. And so, yeah, just definitely a space that there has not been a ton of innovation in, at least to, to the best of our knowledge. And so that's why we think, it, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here. So what's the experience like for somebody who's coming in to book a retreat for their team on yeah, so they would they would log onto our platform. They sync up their HR system so that we can essentially, you know, p- pull in the folks that are on their team, and then they can through our through our platform, you know, connect in their Slack. They can send out polls to figure out when people are available. Send out polls to, to pick a, pick a location. Even it's a, it's a delicate balance uh, between asking too much and asking too little because when you ask too much, then and you get too much input and no decisions ever get made. So definitely seeing people, you know, seeking input on some stuff and, and other things, they they make an executive decision themselves. Yeah. So after after they kind of sync up their Slack, their HR, they 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 can send out invites and, and collect RSVPs. They can also collect dietary preferences and then actually start making making kind of menu selections and do any agenda customizations through through our platform. And we have we will have essentially templates of agendas that work well for people who are focused on team building and people who are focused on work and and have kind of different insights based on who or what kind of company you are what kind of culture you have and what your group size is because there are different that work well based on on those those different inputs and yeah so after the fact as well we, we facilitate all the feedback collection and we'll be providing an easy way to track employee engagement over time and be sending out pulse reports at a certain frequency yeah the the flight booking is also all done through slack so the person who is planning and coordinating um the event would essentially set the policy around that so you know auto approving flights up to a certain amount and the links to book the flights will be distributed via Slack. So all of our communication really goes through Slack, given that's where the majority of the employees of the companies we're working with live. And we think we, we just want to simplify communication as much as possible. And I think really one of the biggest value adds is that there are so many folks who have never planned an event like this before. And with Vertrera, we'll just have step-by-step guides and prompts to Make sure you don't forget anything. Make sure that if someone new joins your team, you are made aware of it because we can flag it if we're connected to your HR system. So it's one of the things we've heard as a common problem for tech companies that are are growing so quickly is that people are coming and going all the time and you just, you know, you could have an event bucked and never know that someone new joined and then it's too late and you've kind of excluded them without intending to. I just went to a retreat for another company where they had to switch venues 
the last week because they just outgrew the other venue that they had already booked and planned everything for. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely, it definitely happens. And I think that's like something that we will have kind of enough data on to be able to guide people on, on that front. And then, you know, a lot of these contracts, they're pretty dense. And so simplifying essentially the main takeaways from any group booking contract at a, at a hotel is, is super important because, you know, there's only a few things you really care about. And that's attrition, which essentially means how many rooms can you drop if you need to. And then, you know, the COVID clauses, right? Like, is this, is this, you know, able to be canceled and rebuffed within the year without any, without incurring any cost? We're doing so many of these contracts now that like, we're like, know automatically what to look for but like as someone who has never done an event like this you probably you know you you need to get this contract reviewed by legal and then that takes another few days and it's it's just like an like a long arduous process and we don't think it should be a lot of work to have a little fun how much of what you're doing now is pure software versus people kind of on the team or you going through contracts and then how do you see that mix changing over time yeah, definitely. So yeah, as as we build out all the all the functionality that, that we're hoping to build, we expect over 90% of of the workflow um, of the planner or, or any of the kind of primary users to be automated um, or done through our platform. And so what what the parts that we you know expect that we might need a customer success function for is essentially just reviewing any last finalizations and customizations of, of an agenda at any venue, but everything from, you know, inviting people, flight booking, venue booking, putting in like re- kind of requests to customize um, and then collecting feedback and, and gaining insights from that, that will all be done through through the software. Part of the reason I'm sure that that's possible is because you brought in an incredible kind of co-founder CTO type role. Could you tell us about your co-founder and how that process yes. works? Because I'm sure that's something, you know, when I was thinking about starting a company before as a non-technical person, I was like, I have no idea how to go convince a technical person to work on this with me. Can you tell us about the CTO and co-founder that you ended up with and how that process worked, how you ended up joining forces? Yeah, definitely. So a classmate of mine at Stanford, she uh, used to work at Airbnb and she she knew Shrag very well. And she knew that he was also excited about the space, about how remote work was changing, how companies do things. And so we got connected and we started chatting a lot about, about the idea. We kind of pressure tested a few different versions of it. And we decided to kind of just do go on a sprint together and, and see how we worked as a team. Um, and so we did that kind of through through May and June. And then by, by June, we knew that we were, we were going to work really well together. And so, yeah, yeah, you're right, Paki. I think, I, I think I must've spoken to you, you know, sometime in that process where I definitely was excited about, about it as a potential co-founder, but yeah, it was, it was, it was obviously a great, great fit. So Shrag has, has been managing, I guess, engineers for about five, six years now. He was at a startup that was acquired by Airbnb about five or six years ago, and then was at Airbnb for four years as an edge manager, and then at Facebook for the last couple of years as an edge manager. And so it's been awesome. He's yeah taking the taking the lead really on on all the product um, development, and he's managing our team of about seven engineers now, which is very exciting. Okay, so that begs the next question: Is how did you hire seven engineers that quickly in this market at such an early? 
Well, I mean, you know what we're all about, and that's remote work. So we we have have folks all over the place. Really, we have have a few in India, Canada, Ohio. Really, yeah, really all over the place. And I think that we just kind of had like a, like a process. We leaned into some of of the networks, and so Shrive being from India had had some insight there as to which schools we might find like in, interns that would be really interested and they've all just been absolutely awesome I've been blown away by how much we've got done yeah really it's really exciting to kind of be building building a remote team you know experiencing our own our own pain points that we're trying to solve so yeah have you done a retreat together yet no, we, we have not, unfortunately, done a retreat together yet, but it's definitely on, on the cards, um, on the cards for next year. Yeah, it probably feels like maybe you get to like a seed or series A before you start doing too many retreats. And then for the first year or however long it is, you're just heads down building 24-7 and that's just the way that it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. So I know there have been companies, though, if, if not Retreira itself, that have been doing retreats already with you. What's that looked like? How many companies have done it? Whatever you're willing to kind of share on the growth side here, because I know that that part's also been impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we've done 14, 14 events so far. And I guess the kind of the way we're thinking about it as, as a B2B marketplace is, you know, how, how much bookings or GMV have we done? And so that's how much have these folks spent on these events that are, you know, fairly expensive. And that's north of a of million dollars now. And, and yeah, it's, it's kind of it's crazy, but it, it really is like validating that, you know, despite actually, you know, COVID cases going up a, a little bit through through fall, people were just so keen to get together that, like, you know, people we just wanted to do it in a, in a safe way. And so, yeah, one of one of the things that we'd be doing is just, you know, ensuring that like the, the vetted venues that we're working with are flexible in terms of rebookings. And that gives people a lot of a lot of additional comfort. Um, no one has needed to actually reschedule anything so far. But it's it's good to know that that is that is possible should they should they need to. Yeah. And so I guess our, our clients so far mainly mainly uh, tech companies. We've done events from, you know, 10, 15 people up to up to 350 people. And so, yeah, it's super fun. Um, learning a lot. We've been, you know, facilitating all of, of the feedback collection for, for all of these events, you know, through through our platform. And, you know, so far, uh, everyone, everyone has really valued the, the events and really wants to do another one soon. We have a few a few customers that are you know, already booking their their second and third event with us. I, I don't know how they've managed to do so many in the two months two months we've been operating. But yeah, <laughs> so two months operational, over a million dollars in GMV, fourteen booked. What's the coolest event or like the the event that you would have wanted to most join? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like yeah, I end up getting personally like very excited about all of them, and I'm not even like I'm not really from the US. So there's also things I haven't been myself, but I've done so much kind of research building out the partnerships there and talking to folks who have been there that I now like feel the need to go at some point. So like Bend, Oregon is, is one place Ooh. that a couple groups have gone that sounds really cool. And Asheville, North Carolina, I've never been there, but yeah, I, I just went it looks like it's pretty cool. It's, Do you like it? It's amazing. It is. You, you need to go to okay. Asheville. Asheville is so cool. 
Okay, nice. It's like this little well, hippie yeah, town in the middle of the mountains. The best month. So <laughs> maybe maybe it will be next year. I don't know if I'll if I'll make it out there in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> if you do a Retrera retreat there next year, I would like to join, please. Okay. Yes, you're you're more than welcome. I'll I'll let you know in advance. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, we have to go back to tougher questions now. So how does the business model work then? So there's a million dollars plus give or minus uh, give or plus or minus in GMV. How do you make money uh, off of? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, we are a B2B marketplace with a premium SaaS offering on, on the demand side. And so we'll be taking taking a revenue share commission on on the buckings that facilitating or, or processing through our platform. And so we expect to take about 20% on that. So far, having done no negotiations, that's closer to, to 10%. But as we start to build supply and scale, we'll have a lot more, a lot more kind of negotiating power to, to get there. And then on the on the SaaS offering, essentially that's enabling any planner or coordinator to um, access our, our premium features. So that's connecting their Slack, connecting their HR system, all the flight booking, a lot, a lot of the coordination tools and then the feedback surveys after the fact that also goes through Slack. So without the, the Slack connection, you can't um, really evaluate in, in as effective a way. So expecting people to upgrade to, to get access to those features so that they can better manage, manage their events. Makes sense. And then the dumb question that I'm sure you get asked all the time and are sick of, what happens if Airbnb starts doing this and why? <laughs> What's the defensibility? Yeah. yeah so Airbnb um, does have a work product, actually. So they have Airbnb, Airbnb for work. And so the use case that we've seen more for Airbnb for work is essentially enabling individuals or smaller, maybe smaller groups within within um, an organization to rent an Airbnb when they travel for work rather than for rather than stay at a hotel so yeah they, they they do have also some like options around like oh you can rent this space you know for the day for for kind of a nearby offsite the problem with airbnb is that the supply is mostly houses and houses can only be so big and so what we think will be different is that we're building a different kind of supply that essentially is more more hotel oriented and has more uh, rooms so we're definitely going after events that are, you know, we can accommodate up to 300 people events, you know, because we can ha have access to rooms to, to facilitate that. And then also have, um, it, it reduces facilitation and coordination costs on our end. If, if there are already on-site activities and on-site food and beverage and, you know, the additional things that are required for corporate events that is a little bit harder to do at an Airbnb given you need to to find someone to you know come into the Airbnb and cook for you right there's not like a, a restaurant in the Airbnb and so it's a slightly different different kind of scale of event that we're thinking about when we compare ourselves to Airbnb I mean there's some interesting data just on how much you know office spend has been reallocated towards you know Air, Airbnbs amongst startups which is like very validating for us that people are you know, redirecting spend, you know, as remote first companies towards th these kinds of events. But there becomes a point, you know, beyond seed, really, where you're just too big for an Airbnb. And so that's, that's the group of people we're going after. Yeah, the allocation from office to fund stuff like this is such a big and underappreciated thing. Like, I think when I was a breather, we modeled out 
maybe, you know, in a city like New York or San Francisco, it's at least a thousand dollars per person per month to keep them in an office. Like, and it'll probably a little more when you talk about feeding them and all the different things that tech companies do. So when you don't do that, you can really have a lot of fun. If you think each person has a twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 annual budget on top of on their head, maybe you give them a desk and a monitor for 2000 so $10,000 a year for people to get together and have these experiences that are so much better and different than what they would have had just showing up at the office every day. I think the world's going to get really fun when people wake up to this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, yeah, we definitely like learned that from having spoke to people that, that have, you know, set, set policies around this that it's yeah, like $7,500 per head per year. And that's, you know, for three different, three different events, three, four different events, you know, they're still probably net, net saving money on, on, on what it would be if they had an office. But I think really what it comes down to is the point of people moving remote first or accepting, you know, remote first workers is not, uh, you know, a cost saving thing. It's, it's literally just that this is what the people want and this is what enables companies to grow quicker. And so, yeah, it's not really, you know, a budget issue. It's, it's just what, what makes most sense for a lot of these companies. If you look out five years, like where is Retrera and what do you think is most surprising just kind of hearing what you're doing now, surprising about what the company looks like in five years from now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I think where we'll be is is you know being that one stop shop for remote engagement. The the place you go when you're either you know new to hiring a remote or new to managing a remote team or don't already have an existing solution, and you just you're worried, right? Like you have a ton of employees, you're you're doing coffee chats with them, but you don't really know how they're doing on a personal level. And so I think that being somewhere where you can go and just take a, a weight off your shoulder via having a retire subscription will be super, super valuable. And knowing that there is this this tool that can help you with the in-person events, that can help you with the virtual events, can help you keep track of what you're spending and what the return on that spend is. Um given that is something that, you know, you, you need to keep track of if you want to petition for more budget from from the finance department or whoever might be allocating allocating um, the budget for, for you know, T&E and, and culture. And so I, I think we'll be the one-stop shop in five years time. And then I guess, I mean, what was the other question? Looking back, what will be the most surprising thing? I feel like that's something I have to answer in five years time. Fair, yeah, no, no crystal ball here. I, there's an interesting thing in there, which is, you know, there's, I guess, a couple different ways to create a wedge and then expand. And the most obvious and easiest and the thing that a million Slack bots have tried to pursue to, to get in and be the engagement solution is just to build something super lightweight and go inside of the company. And then you can expand out and become the engagement platform for remote work. You're taking this like you can't even call it a wedge because you're taking like the fat part of the doorstop and, and trying to jam that in first. Talk about wedge building and, and which one to use as, as the wedge into the bigger market. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, yeah, I think that the, yeah, the in-person stuff, like as we've uh, talked about a bit, it, it is, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a small wedge. It is, a, it's a big wedge. It is an undertaking in and of itself, but you know, we know that it's necessary and like, we just, know that this is a problem and we think that we can we can be the solution so yeah it's it's definitely an undertaking but you know you got to shoot high 
I think you could probably say that of, of a lot of a lot of successful startups that you know you just have to be kind of ambitious and, and have kind of a lofty goal. And yeah, anyone anyone who's doing in person events, essentially, if we've acquired them as a customer already, like that that is a good enough like signal that they care about their employees enough to also do the virtual stuff to do to want to keep track of of you know employee engagement and 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 essentially retain great employees so i think in some ways we're thinking about it from kind of a customer acquisition perspective as well you know certain customers are, are willing to to do these in-person events then they'll be kind of e- easy to upsell them on on the additional offerings as we learn those on speaking of customer acquisition where can people find both you and Retrera if they're hearing this conversation, they want to go plan a retreat for their team and they want to keep their employees? Yeah, definitely. So it's just www.retrera.com. And you can also also you know, shoot me an email. It's lauren at retrera.com. And we can, we can go from there. I would love, love to help anyone with, with their upcoming offsite. Lauren, thanks so much for talking to me today. This was a lot of fun uh, and really excited to see where you take it next. Awesome. Thanks so much, Paki. It was great to chat. Work, 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 work